Let's take our Bibles and study God's Word for a little bit. We're in the book of Psalms this morning. We're just going to do a brief study in Psalm 5 and Psalm 34. A few weeks ago, the Lord put on my heart a burden to do a fall series called Listen. I didn't really know and I'm still discerning what that looks like, but I felt very strongly that we need to focus on discerning the voice of the Holy Spirit and being passionate about obeying Him. So we're going to study over the next weeks a number of people who listen to the Lord and a number of people who didn't listen to the Lord because there is so much to learn from their response to God's Word to them. But this morning, I'd like to start by looking at the example that the Lord sets for us in terms of listening because when we understand the love and mercy of God in this area, when we understand the sufficiency of God in this area of listening, it will totally, uh, totally change our approach to the Word. It will totally change our approach to prayer. And as we mature in those areas, and as we grow in our understanding of how God works and how God ministers to us, it will then have an effect on us in the sense that we'll discern how to understand and hear the voice of God's Spirit uh, speaking to us every day. Now, uh, some people, as they hear that, might say, well, that's kind of weird and kind of mysterious and mystical that we hear God's Spirit. I mean, He gives us His Word, but the Holy Spirit speaks to us throughout the day. Holy Spirit speaks to our spirit because as believers, He indwells us. And as he indwells us, he speaks to us. He has many jobs that he takes uh, upon himself in terms of ministering to us. He comforts us. He convicts us. He reassures us. He warns us. He corrects us. He teaches us. He trains us. He encourages us. He fills us with his power so that we will be spurred on to spiritual maturity. That's a big assignment that he has just for me, let alone for everybody else. To do all those works, comfort, convict, encourage, guide, strengthen, teach, uh, correct, all all those things that the Holy Spirit does in our lives, He's actively doing. Holy Spirit's not passive today in your life. He's not just sitting back saying, well, let's see what Rhodes does today. Let's let's see how he does, and at some point I'll, I'll, I'll maybe get involved. No, He's actively working in our lives as believers. And because He has that role... We have to become very wise and very astute about listening to him and about hearing what he has to say in our lives. The problem is there are a lot of voices and a lot of noises that are competing for our attention. A lot of things fighting for our mind this morning. A lot of things fighting for our heart. Our our ear is inclined to a lot of things. There's the, the constant loud demands of self. Self is obnoxious. Self is always yelling for something, always demanding some desire to be met. And how many know that self gets very grouchy when it doesn't get what it wants? And then there is the constant barrage of noise from our culture, whether it's music or video or information, whether it's audible or passive. It doesn't really matter. There's really no escaping the constancy of sound. And more often than not, we choose it rather than resisting it. I was cracking up the other day. I forget where I was, and I looked around, and oh, I was watching a football game. 
on, on TV. And every single person in the skybox that they showed was on their phone. We just can't get away from it. We just can't avoid it, and we choose it. But there's a, a subtle second part to that information overload, and it's a negating and a redefining of truth. So that increasingly, it's seen as wrong to hold a biblical conviction. We're getting to the place, and I don't mean to be weird here, we're getting to the place where only government-held beliefs are going to be allowed. And if you think that sounds kind of Orwellian, kind of 1984-ish, take a look at the news story. Just research it this week about the California high school that will not allow Chick-fil-A sandwiches to be sold on campus because of Chick-fil-A's beliefs. I mean, this is happening more and more rapidly, and we need to be aware that this is not just an anomaly anymore. This is the reality. And as all those voices are competing for our mind to try to drown out the voice of the Lord that we're hearing as believers. The enemy is constantly tempting us. He's constantly saying, be independent and be rebellious and disobey. Now, the seriousness of this competition, so to speak, really can't be overstated. In fact, there are eight major areas at least, and I'm just going to list them and maybe get a pen and write these down because these will impact you this week. There are at least eight major areas of spiritual maturity that are at stake. Each is dependent on how well we listen to the Lord. If we're not listening to the Lord or we are listening to the Lord, it will impact these eight areas. Number one, and I'll read them kind of quickly because I don't want to take too long, but I'll try to read them slowly for you to write them down. Eight areas. Number one, our closeness to the Lord. Whether we listen or don't listen will affect our closeness, our proximity, the, the, the intimacy of our relationship with the Lord. Number two, it'll affect our understanding of the Bible. If we don't listen, can't understand the Word. Number three, the depth of our faith whether or not we're going to trust him, whether or not we're going to put our confidence in him, will depend on whether we want to listen to him. Number four, the extent of our yieldedness to the Holy Spirit. Will we listen? Will we yield? Will we sacrifice ourselves daily or will we resist? So the yieldedness, uh, extent of our yieldedness. Number five, our willingness to obey the Lord. He gives us 66 books of his word, says this is what you're supposed to do. This is how a believer acts. If we're not willing to listen to that, we're certainly not going to be obedient. Number six, our desire for prayer. We won't want to spend time with him if we're not going to listen to him. Number seven, our understanding of God's leading. How, how will we know God's will for our lives? How will we know how God's directing our paths? How will we know what is right? What's the path of righteousness unless we listen? And number eight, the boldness of our witness. Because how many times has God said, talk to that person about me? And we're like, yeah, I got other things to do. So all eight of these areas, and this is just the smallest, will be affected by how well we listen or don't listen to the Lord. Each of these is dependent on that. So if one of these that we just wrote down is weak or anemic in our lives right now, then it means that our listening needs to improve. I doubt that any of us looks at that list and goes, oh, I got all eight of these mastered. We, I, you know what? I'm just going to go home. Every one of us struggles in these areas. Every one of us struggles to, to have those fulfilled in our lives. So that means our listening needs to improve. Now, God never calls us to do anything that he hasn't modeled himself. And listening is no exception. 
In fact, I've been struck this week by the extent to which the Lord listens because it's made even more remarkable when we realize that God has no reason to listen to us. Listen now. He has no reason to listen to us other than he loves us and he's merciful. As God, he doesn't need us. As God, he's not dependent on us. As God, he doesn't have to sit there and go, boy, I hope my kids will talk to me. He does not need us, and yet because he's loving and merciful, he delights to hear from us. He delights our worship and our praise. He delights in our prayers. He delights when we come to the throne of grace. See, God wants an unbroken, perfect relationship with us, and he loves us so much that he sent Christ to die for us to secure that because we had fractured it by sin. All the way back to Genesis, when he walked with Adam and Eve in the cool of the garden in the middle of the day, the Lord has shown that he wants to have fellowship with us. He wants to listen to us. He wants to be heard by us. And one of the greatest privileges that we have as believers is to pray. That he allows us and encourages us to come directly into his holy presence at any time. At 3 o'clock in the morning when you wake up and there's a burden on your heart and you start praying, God is not only there to hear you, you not only have to not rouse him out of his sleep. Oh, Lord, are you there? Oh, wait a second. Hold on a second. I got to clear the cobwebs out of my eyes. All right, you want to talk to me? No, it's never like that. He's watching, and he's waiting, and he's ready. And even at 3 o'clock in the morning when we pray, he welcomes us, and he listens to us, and he acts. That's one of the main reasons why we're placing a greater priority on having a weekly prayer meeting, because the Lord moves when his people pray. The Lord moves when his people pray, and there is so much joy in being in his presence together calling on his name. But, but prayer is not just about being heard. We also have to learn to listen. We have to learn to recognize his voice when he speaks to us. And we're going to look at those themes of discernment in the next couple weeks. But let's start this morning in Psalm chapter 5. We're just going to read three verses from this passage. And then we're going to turn over to Psalm 34. I want to encourage you to to read and study Psalm 5 this week. Especially if you're discouraged about what's going on in the world. Because Psalm 5 is full of reassuring truths about how the Lord deals with those who oppose him and how he protects those that love him. So let's read just the first three verses of Psalm chapter 5. Give ear to my words, O Lord. Consider my groaning. Heed the sound of my cry for help, my King and my God. For to you I pray. In the morning, O Lord, you will hear my voice. In the morning I will offer up my prayer to you. And eagerly watch. Now turn over to Psalm 34. Thank you for bringing your Bibles. I always know people brought their Bibles because when I say turn, it sounds like it's raining, right? It's a good sound. Psalm 34, let's start in verse 4. I sought the Lord and he answered me and delivered me from all my fears. They looked to him and were radiant, and their faces will never be ashamed. This poor man cried, and the Lord heard him, and saved him out of all his troubles. The angel of the Lord encamps around those who fear him, and rescues them. Verse 15, the eyes of the Lord are toward the righteous, and his ears are open to their cry. The face of the Lord is against evildoers, to cut off the memory of them from the earth. The righteous cry, and the Lord hears, and delivers them out of all their troubles. Now, 
the, the prevailing theme in the 10 verses that we just read is that the Lord is not only willing to listen, but that he is undeniably faithful to listen, and he will powerfully act when his children call on him. Let me say that again. The Lord is not only willing to listen, but he is undeniably faithful to listen, and he is ready and powerfully able to act when his children call on him. Now don't let that slide by, because that is an unbelievable, remarkable truth that we have just said. God listens, God's faithful, and he's ready to act. The Lord of all, he hears, he listens, he delivers, he defends, he secures his children when they pray. What a truth that is. He is never busy. He's never unaware. He's never indifferent. He's never unable to provide, or let's put it in the positive. He's always attentive, always responsive, always caring, and always sufficient. Now that's why when you go back to chapter 5, we're going to go back and forth here. When you go back to chapter 5, David is not just kind of wishfully thinking here, Lord, I'm coming to you and and I kind of hope you'll hear me when I pray. I got some things I need to, to... bring before you, and I hope somehow that in heaven, with all the prayers that are being prayed right now, and all the things that you have to do, and all the, all the busyness, I'm sure you've got more than you can possibly handle, and my prayer doesn't seem like very much, but Lord, I hope somehow that as I pray, you'll, you'll hear me asking for help, and, and, and hopefully do something. You ever prayed that way? Kind of tentatively, hopefully, uncertain, just kind of I I hope this works. God, I hope you hear this. Listen, that's not how God has told us to call on his name. Look at verse 3. In the morning, O Lord, you will hear my voice. We know that's not uncertain because of the next line. David says, so I'll order my prayer and I'll eagerly watch. In other words, he's saying, I'm going to lay it all out before you. I'm going to arrange all the things that I want to present to you this morning, Lord. And and, and I'm going to show my gratitude and my love to you by doing this. And and then with confidence, Lord, I'm going to wait for you to act. How often do we pray with that kind of confidence? How often do we pray with absolute assurance, Lord, I'm coming to you. You say you'll listen and act. I'm going to wait for you to act. Not not arrogantly and not presumptuously and not kind of condescendingly. Well, here I am, Lord. I'm your child. I'm waiting for you to act. No, it doesn't work that way. Lord, I'm confident in you. You're faithful and you're true and you say you'll work and you tell me to call on your name and make my requests known. So Lord, humbly, I'm coming to you and I'm waiting for you to work. And that's all based on verse 7. Look at it. As for me, by your abundant loving kindness, I'll enter your house at your holy temple. I'll bow in reverence to you. Notice that when we come into his presence, It's not on our own merit. It's not because we have a right to be there. It's because of his abundant loving kindness. I like that word loving kindness. It's not a word we use in our vocabulary every day. It's a great Bible word. It's the Hebrew word chesed. 
And the word hesed means goodness and kindness and faithfulness all at the same time. Oh, that that was true in our relationships. That we would show hesed to each other. Goodness and kindness and faithfulness all at the same time. And then look at the second line of verse 7. He says, when I enter into your presence because of your abundant loving kindness, I bow in reverence to you. In other words, i got to make sure my heart and my spirit is right as I approach you with dependence and humility. But here's what I know, Lord. Here's the power of prayer. When I pray, even though I should humbly expect nothing, I can joyfully know that you'll provide everything. Oh man, that will change your prayer life this week. When you pray to the Lord, Lord, humbly, I deserve nothing, but you've promised me you're going to provide everything. So as I come to you with my needs, as I come to you with my requests, Lord, I come confidently. It's because of your abundant loving kindness that I didn't even get to come to your throne of grace. But because of that, you say, come boldly to my throne and ask. And I'll work. Listen, if the Lord didn't care about us, he wouldn't do that. If the Lord didn't care about us, he would not even listen to us in the first place. He would just remind us of our sin and failure, and then he would excuse himself to do something more important. But look back at Psalm 34 for a minute, because David's words here are full of complete confidence, complete confidence that the Lord listens and acts when the righteous call on him. Look at verse 15. The eyes of the Lord are toward the righteous, and his ears are open to the cry of the righteous. That's the extension of the, of the noun there. So there are two preconditions. Before we come and we start expecting God to answer prayer, there are two preconditions. The first one is that we're righteous, and the second one is that we're calling on him. Now let's take just a minute on each one. Because we want to have the same confidence David has when we pray that God's eyes are open to us and that his ears are open to our cry. So there are two prerequisites. Number one, verse 15, we're supposed to be righteous. Now righteous literally means to be right with God, to be vindicated in his sight. But it has a secondary meaning. The secondary meaning is that we're righteous in character and conduct. So here's the thing. It's not just enough to say, well, I prayed at a camp when I was 12, or I gave my life to Christ when I was 30. Praise the Lord. And that's, that's wonderful. But it's, it's not just a matter of being declared righteous and vindicated from sin, and then I do whatever I want. There is an ongoing progression because of the declaration. When we're born, when there's a child born, it's declared to be a living human being. But we don't stay as babies. As we grow and mature, we're, we, we become uh, older. We start to look and act like our parents. And, and we start to develop as humans and mature. The spiritual principle is the exact same. When we're born again... We're declared a new living spiritual being. We're established as righteous by God, but we're not just to stay as infants. We're to grow in grace and in the knowledge of the Lord until ultimately we look and become like Jesus Christ. And so much of the confidence or lack of confidence that we have when we call 
is based on the level of our maturity in Christ. Our comfort level is based on the closeness of our relationship. So he says, when you call, you call as righteous. Second, look at verse 15. He says we have to cry out to him. And when we do, he listens. Now, it struck me as odd. Why does the Spirit take the time to make that distinction? Isn't it expected that we'll pray? Isn't it expected that his children who have been saved by his grace, that, that will long to be in his presence and will delight in his mercy and will let our requests be made known? Well, not necessarily, because if that was so, why don't we allot far more time to pray? And every one of us, myself, is, is guilty of this. Why don't we allot more time to pray? Part of the answer is that we're not prioritizing our time. But why don't we prioritize our time? Either we don't care, or we don't believe prayer works, or we assume that prayer doesn't matter. I've met Christians over the years who believe that prayer is, is not essential because God's going to do whatever he wants to do anyway, and our prayer doesn't make a difference, so it's just not important. They don't believe that prayer quote-unquote, influences the Lord. We've got to be careful with that, but that's a spiritual truth because there's all kinds of examples throughout Scripture where people called on the name of the Lord and he acted because of their prayer. He acted because of their faith. And if prayer doesn't matter, then why does God talk about it so much? Why does Jesus model it? Why does God say, call on my name so many times? It's because he wants to see the action of our faith and our dependence. He wants our faith to be stretched so we get to the point where we say, Psalm 34, verse 4, Psalm 34, verse 6, Psalm 34, verse 15, Psalm 34, verse 17. Those are true. When I call, you answer. When I come into your throne, you're there. The eyes of the Lord are on the righteous. The ears of the Lord hear their cry. When we call in the name of the Lord, God responds. Look how definitive the verbs are. Look how certain they are. He answered me. He delivered me. The Lord hears and saves. His eyes are toward the righteous. His ears are open. The Lord's against evildoers. He hears and delivers. There's absolutely no ambiguity. There's no doubt. There's no equivocation. When we seek him, he does this. Now those are all amazing truths and we can be confident in them. And they're certain because of the character of God and their evidence of his authority and his power. But what really struck me this week, and I pray the Holy Spirit will help me explain this, is how much time and attention the Lord is willing to give to us. How much time and attention the Lord is willing to give to us. We know that he's all-powerful. We know he's sovereign. We know he punishes evil. We know he shows mercy to those who trust in him. Those are foundational truths that we believe in. But what I hope we'll see this morning is that even as almighty God, it is the way that he listens and responds to his children that is so powerful. David said in chapter 5, verse 3, In the morning you will hear my voice. 
Lamentations 2 says we can cry out to him throughout the night and he hears. Psalm 34, 17 says whenever the righteous cry, the Lord hears. In other words, there is never a time when God isn't ready to respond. There is never a time where God doesn't take time to listen and care and minister and respond to us. There is never a time. Now that's a pretty basic truth, but the depth of his loving kindness really overwhelmed me this week in a very unexpected way. It's interesting how the Lord teaches us throughout the day if we'll just listen. Because sometimes he'll teach us something profound through a very basic principle. And I wasn't really expecting that this week. I wasn't really listening for it. But um, he made something so instantly clear to me. And I really pray, and I've been praying throughout the night, that he'll help me to explain it. Because I want you to be just as excited as I am. I was home for lunch the other day, and Julie was homeschooling Matthew. And he was learning about weight and mass and volume. And she was explaining volume in terms of the liquid you would put in a glass and how much it fills the glass. And she defined it this way. I was just just walking by trying to find something to eat because I was hungry like I am now. And she said, volume is the amount of space something takes up. Okay? Volume is the amount of space that something takes up. Now, instantly in my mind... I thought of music. And all of a sudden, the principle made a lot of sense. That volume in music is the amount of space that the sound takes up in the room. When I encouraged you earlier, encouraged us earlier, let's praise the Lord. Let's fill the room with praise. Wasn't thinking about this when I said that. But that's, that's the sense of volume. That we would fill this room with praise. Like liquid into a glass that our praise would occupy the space. So in the sense of music, there is, there is the sense of, of the sound filling. Phil Spector was a record producer, lousy person, but he coined the phrase, a wall of sound. What he was meaning was that he was trying to create a dense, layered sound that came across well on AM radio, which was the primary um, means at the time, that, that would come across an AM radio and on jukeboxes. He wanted the sounds to combine so that it would be rich. In other words, sound that would take up more space, that would fill the room. Thus the phrase, the wall of sound. Now as I'm walking through looking for something to eat because I'm hungry like I am now, and, and I'm hearing volume is, is filling up the space. I'm like, all right, that's good. She's teaching him about uh, science, which I know absolutely nothing about. Praise God that my wife knows how to teach science because I made bad grades. This is all in my thoughts as I'm walking through the kitchen looking for something to eat because I'm hungry like I am now. And then I relate it to music. And I think, music, that makes sense. Why did I never think of that before? Music fills the space. It occupies the space. And then all of a sudden the Holy Spirit said, now, Paul, it's spiritual. Think now. Listen to what I'm telling you. The more volume there is of our prayers, I'm not talking about loudness now. I'm talking about the the amount. The more volume there is in our prayer, the more amount of space that we give it, the more amount of space the Lord will provide to hear us and act. 
the more we go for the Lord and, and call on his name, kind of creating a spiritual wall of sound as individuals and families as in a church, the more we sincerely and fervently call on the name of the Lord, the more it will fill the space and the more the Lord will respond. The first time I ever went to prayer meeting at Brooklyn Tabernacle in New York, it was like getting saved again. I walked in the building. The presence of the Lord was so profound, it almost, it almost overwhelmed me. And as people started to call on the name of the Lord, 3,000, 4,000 people at once, calling on the name of the Lord, it was a sound like I had never heard before. I, the only thing I could relate to is this must be what Pentecost sounded like. It's not about volume, even though people pray very loudly sometimes there. It's, it's not about uh, being yelling. God is not deaf. He doesn't need us to yell at him. But as people gather together and call in the name of the Lord, it was a wall of sound. And I thought, this is what must be, this is what heaven must be like as everybody praises God and exalts him and calls on his name. And when we do, oh, Holy Spirit, help me to explain this. When we do, God gives us space. He gives us his time and his attention and his care and his mercy, and he responds. Give ears to my words, O Lord. Consider my meditation. Hearken to the voice of my cry, my Savior and my King. There's no point praying if you don't believe that's what God's going to do. I sought the Lord, and he answered me. And he delivered me from a few of my fears. Is that what the text says? He delivered me from all my fears. This poor man cried, and the Lord heard him and saved him out of a few of his troubles. Out of all his troubles. Do you believe he can and will do that? That he can deliver you of all your fears and all your troubles? If so, then you should be praying more. If not, what do you believe about prayer? The eyes of the Lord, verse 15 or toward the righteous. His ears are open to their cry. The righteous cry, and the Lord hears and delivers them. Listen, volume is the amount of space that something takes up. And the Lord promises in this text that when we keep calling on his name, he will give us more and more of his presence. But it goes both ways. We have to not only increase the amount of time we spend in the Lord and in his presence, but as he speaks to us, and this is what we'll study more down the road, as he speaks to us, we have to listen more like he does. That means more and more we're going to have to shut out and not give any space to those other voices that are calling out for our attention and our heart and mind. It's a stupid analogy, but let me say it anyway. We really need spiritual noise-canceling headphones for our soul. Have you ever worn a pair of noise-canceling headphones? Those things are so cool. You can be in a loud room, you put them on, and it's like you're just, it's like you're on a cloud. There's nothing. And you go, oh, I could get used to this. 
So many voices this morning. I'm done. So many voices this morning. So many noises. So many things competing for our heart and mind. And we need to shut them out and listen to the voice of the Lord. That the only voice we hear is His. As believers and as a church, it's time to turn up the volume. It's time to spend more time in his presence and more time calling on his name. And the more we spend listening to his voice, the more he will minister to us and and bless us and give us his time and his attention and his response. And I pray, this is my prayer, that God will stir each of us this fall. That we will be people who pray. And that we'll be people who are heard by the Lord and we'll be people who see his hand moving among us.